Praise be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, I am glad that all of you got your clocks turned up an hour, and that you are here in God's house this morning, one hour earlier than usual. And I do hope and pray, though, that you are glad to be here, and that we thank God for this beautiful day. Today, as you know, is the fourth Sunday after Easter, and in the Christian church it is known as Cantate Sunday. That Latin word cantate comes from the Latin word canto, which means to sing. So today is Sing Sunday, because the intro for this day began, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. And the text that I just read is fitting for uh, this occasion. It tells about an incident that happened in the spring about one year before the death of Jesus. He was up in Capernaum in Galilee at the time, and he was in the synagogue there. It so happened that at that time when he was preaching, there was a large crowd to hear him. Christ was at the very peak of his popularity in his earthly ministry. But we are told that something happened there that day in the synagogue at Capernaum. Because of his preaching, many of his followers turned away from him and they walked no more with him. He had reached the height of his popularity and it was breaking his heart to see some of his followers turning away and backsliding. They were disappointed in him. They were grieved and they were offended in him. They didn't think that he was the answer to their problems. And then it was in that synagogue at Capernaum that Jesus turned to the twelve and he said to them, uh, Will ye also go away? Are you going to leave me too and turn your back on me? Jesus said to them that they are, Are you men going to leave? You're going to backslide? Are you going to turn away from me even though you followed me? And are you going to say that you will no longer associate with me? Do I offend you? Have I disappointed you men? Do you feel that I'm not the answer to your problems? You and I may say here we are in the 20th century. We may say this morning, what is Jesus saying to you and me through his word? Uh, that he spoke in that synagogue in Capernaum on that particular day. And Jesus, the Christ, he's looking at you and me this morning of the 20th century, and he's saying to you and me, his followers, will ye also go away? Are you going to turn your back on me too? Are you going to become backsliders? Are you disappointed in me really now? Uh, have I offended you? Have I hurt you? Uh, are you convinced that I am not the answer to the problems of the 20th century? Do you feel that I am not contemporary, Jesus is saying to you and me this morning? Do you feel that I'm not relevant? Do you feel that I am not the Christ for your age? Do you feel that I'm just an old fogey? Do you feel that I'm just an old antique that you've got to outgrow? Do you feel that I'm antiquated and that you can dispose of me? Are you also going to go away? In other words, this morning when he says to you and me through his word, will ye also go away? He is calling and pleading with you and me, don't go away. Don't turn your back on me. 
Uh, don't become a backslider because you may feel that you are disappointed in me, that I'm not the answer to the problems of your age, that you may feel that I've outlived my usefulness, that I'm only a fifth wheel, that I'm nothing but an antique, that all you have to do is outgrow me, that I'm not relevant for your time, I'm not contemporary, I am not pertinent for your sophisticated 20th century. You and I may say to ourselves, it's hard to believe that he would call to you and me and plead with us not to go away and not to become a backslider. For maybe some of us feel that he hasn't any right to ask us not to backslide. We may say he's not justified, he hasn't any reason because we may be disappointed in him. How many of us are disappointed in him? How many of us are saying down our hearts, he isn't what I thought he was going to be. He isn't what he's cracked up to be. How many of us say he doesn't seem to be the answer for this enlightened and sophisticated 20th century? But through the word Jesus today on this cantate Sunday calls to you and me, uh, don't go away, don't turn your back on me. Don't become a backslider because you are offended, because I've disappointed you, because you feel I'm not the answer to your problems, because Jesus would say, I am justified in asking you not to turn away from me, because Jesus would assure you and me that he is the answer to the problems of this 20th century. And let's look at him this morning, let's look at him hard, and let's look at him honestly. And let's call no punches and let's say, if you are the answer, how are you the answer? In the first place, he would assure you and me uh, that he and he alone has the words of eternal life. Rather interesting, when he turned to the twelve and he said, are you going to go away too? And then it was old Simon Peter who always talked first, but he was speaking for the group. Old Pete Johnson turned to him and he said, Lord, if we did turn away from you, where are we going? How about the modern 20th century problem of your salvation and mine? Has he failed you and me, or isn't that a problem anymore? Peter said to him, Lord, if we turned away from you, where are we going? You and you alone, he said, you have the word of eternal life. And then Jesus had said to them that day, supposing you see me ascend into heaven to go back to where I have come from, we are still dying in the 20th century, aren't we? We are still body and soul. We talk about a life beyond the grave. And we say this is a problem because death still comes. And then we say, what about it after death comes? When you and I turn away from Christ, what's the answer? If we turn away from him, where are we going? If he isn't the answer to the life and death, the salvation problem, uh, then who is? We'd have to turn to ourselves. And what do you and I know about life beyond the grave? You and I have no assurance from any experience that we've ever had that there is a life beyond the grave. But when we turn to Jesus Christ and we say, He who died on the cross arose again from the dead and appeared alive and convinced his followers that he had risen from the dead, then you and I say he is the 20th century answer to the death problem. There is a life beyond the grave because he came back to tell us there was. And that he is the one, the only one who has eternal life because he was God's son who came into this world out of the ivory palaces and he went to Calvary's cross and he bore the guilt and the punishment of the world's sin. He bore hell and damnation in your stead and mine. And therefore Jesus says, 
don't turn away from me. Don't backslide. Jesus says, don't be disappointed in me that you think that I'm not the answer. If you and I turn to ourselves, we end up what? In panic and we end up in fear and we end up in despondency and we're afraid of death. But when we turn to him, we must say, as Peter Johnson said, if we turn away, Lord, where else are we going to turn? You alone have the words of eternal life. And therefore, he is the answer to this 20th century of sophistication. He's the answer to the salvation problem because he and he alone has forgiveness of sins, deliverance from hell, and the blessing of eternal life in heaven to offer. When I turn away from him, I find it no place else. I can't find it in myself because being honest with myself, I must agree that all of my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? I can only despair when I turn to myself as my only Savior because that leaves me despondent because I cannot save myself. I can't do one perfect deed in the sight of God. How could I ever atone for my sins? And how could you and I ever atone for your, yours and for mine? And we say to ourselves when Jesus calls and he says, uh, don't turn away from me, don't be a backslider. He says, don't turn your back on me. Uh, don't be disappointed because you think I'm not the answer to the problems of your century. Uh, Jesus assures you and me that he is. And therefore, we ought to heed his call this morning when he says, are you going away too? We ought to say to ourselves, I'm determined that I'm going to live close to Christ and his word regardless of the majority. Jesus knew what it was to see his day of popularity become rather dim. And today in the 20th century, if you're reading your newspapers and your magazines, we're hearing about it today, aren't we? The loss again of the popularity of Jesus Christ and the church. Everybody's talking about it. The fact that church attendance is down, that nobody cares whether they go to church. And nobody cares about the word of God anymore. And again, in the churches, the churches, as far as their benevolence funds are concerned, they're weighed down. And the churches are having to retrench and they can't carry out their program. And you and I are saying, this is the majority. It's no longer popular to be a Christian, to go with the majority. And even, again, the majority stands outside of the church and those that have backslidden look at you and me with a ridicule and they say, uh, you mean to tell me that you still follow this Jesus, an old, fogey, and antiquated individual who is no longer relevant? He doesn't mean anything to this 20th century. And then you and I begin to wonder. But Jesus still assured them in that synagogue that day. He said, the spirit quickeneth. He says, the flesh doesn't do anything. In other words, he is saying, my word is spirit and my word is life. The Holy Spirit still works in the word of God and still brings men to repentance. And he still brings men to a living faith in Jesus Christ and him as Lord and Savior. I'm going up to Minneapolis Tuesday with a lot of manuscripts. And you ought to see the manuscripts that are being written today on the demise of Jesus Christ and the lack of popularity. And Prince is saying that the day of preaching is over with. It's done in the church. It's just a matter of just a short time when there will no longer be any preaching of the word. Well, again, I look at my Lord and what did he do? He preached the word of God. Because the Holy Spirit worked there. And as far as I'm concerned, it's still going to be preached because I know of no other way in which to bring Jesus Christ to individuals, to bring them to repentance and faith in him. It may be old fogies and it may not be in keeping with the 20th century. 
But through the preaching of the word of God, Jesus Christ comes into the hearts and lives of men. The flesh doesn't do anything. You and I can't save ourselves. And therefore, again, if we're going to say, I'm going to live close, I don't care what the majority does, I'm not turning my back on him. He is the answer. He isn't an antique. He isn't somebody that I just outgrew when I grew up and I become sophisticated. And then we save ourselves the tragedy of having had him and let him slip through our fingers. It's sad when you take your Old Testament, you read about the life of King Saul, isn't it? When he started out and again he was a child of God and he put his faith and his trust in God, starting out as one of God's children. And then when he ended up, when the word of God tells us about him, that he wist not that the spirit had departed from him. And there was Judas when again, he knew him for a time, Jesus says, Lord. And when he turned his back on him, Jesus said about him, it were better for that man that he had never been born. The tragedy of once having known Christ and having turned our back on him. Jesus would tell you and me this morning, I am very relevant. It would be better you had never been born. It would be better you had never seen the light of day. It would be better you would never have had life than to have known me and to have turned your back on me. Hell, the eternal separation of body and soul from Christ, must be a horrible tragedy for which again there is no recompense. Today, again, this is the Song Sunday. Cantate, we say, sing unto the Lord a new song. And Jesus says, will you also go away? Are you going to leave me? And Jesus says, you're disappointed in me. Uh, do you feel that I'm not relevant? Do you feel that I am not contemporary? Do you feel that I'm not germane to your society, to your 20th century? Uh, do you feel that I've disappointed you? Do you feel that I don't have the answers? And you and I may say, well, I'm a little disappointed in you. We may say, well, Jesus says, why? Jesus assures you and me that he is the answer because in the second place he assures you and me of this, that he says that he and he only is the Christ, the Son of the living God. When he turned to the twelve that day in the synagogue and said, are you men going away too? So many of the other ones are leaving me. Yes, my popularity is on the wing. They're going. When he turned to them, it was again Pete Johnson that said, No, where else are we going to go, Lord? And he said, You, we believe, and we're sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Holy One of God. We said, What are the problems of this 20th century? You may say, Well, how about our moral problem, this thing of right and wrong? When you and I were kids, I think all of us remember mom and dad saying, When we questioned something, Is it right or wrong? Didn't they say, What would Jesus do? Weren't you raised like that? What would Jesus do? In other words, mom and dad said, uh, if you want to know what is right and wrong, what would Jesus do? What he would do would be right. If we turn away from him, well, then what do we have? Today in this 20th century, this sophisticated age, so many are turning away and not asking, what would Jesus do? Then the only thing to do is turn to ourselves. And we can say, I'm going to do what I please. I'm going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to do right what I think is right and what I think is wrong, and I don't care. And we say, what's the answer to that one? We talk about mental health, don't we? We are being reminded of the fact that there are more people in mental hospitals for mental ailments than for any other ailment that comes to the human body. And we say, what do you mean, mental problems? We Christians would say, soul problems. We say the soul is sick. And in so many who are soul sick, what seems to be the difficulty? Oh, of course, not in all cases, and we dare not generalize. 
But so many are soul-sick because of a guilty conscience, because of a sense of guilt. Because God made you and me moral beings. You see, this soul that you and I are, or that we have, it's got a moral sense to it. And when, again, when it's no longer what would Jesus do, but when we do as we please, when we sin against our moral sense, then there comes restlessness. Then there comes a sense of guilt. Then there comes a feeling of despondency. Then there comes a feeling that we don't want to live. Then there comes a feeling that, oh, if we could only get out of this life. And then we say, oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, the wretched people who are so sick. Because in our enlightened 20th century, they've turned away from Jesus Christ and no longer saying, what would he do? He stood before the world of his day. Don't you ever forget it. He said, which of you convinces me of sin? When I look at him, you talk about being relevant to our century. He again, his life has been examined and it's been analyzed and it's been psychoanalyzed and men have looked at it and men have said, there again was a life that was absolutely perfect. It never deviated. There was a moral tone to it. There was a rightness to it. It wasn't relative that Jesus had a moral sense of right and it was always right and it never varied the greatest life that has ever been lived. Jesus says, I'm still the answer to right and wrong. I'm still the answer. Because if you and I turn away from him, we become our own standard, then what happens? There come restlessness. And Jesus says, I'm not an old fogey. I'm still the answer to your age. Are you going to go away? Uh, are you disappointed in me? Are you offended? Do you think that I failed you? And Jesus would assure you and me that he and he alone is the one who gives us the evidence that our faith in him is a living faith when we can look at our lives and we can say, my life has this semblance that at least I am trying to do what Jesus would do. You can't see your faith and neither can I. You and I can say, I have a faith in Jesus Christ. I put my trust in him as my Lord and Savior. But we can't see it. But the only place we can see is to look at our life. Is this a living faith that I have in him? And Jesus would say, look at your life. Is there an evidence in your life, in the fruit of your life, that you are doing what Jesus would do? And when we can say yes, that we are trying to live a life, not according to the way we would live it, but according to the way he lived it, looking at him as the example and the paragon of morality, then we say to ourselves, then there comes the assurance that my faith in him is a living faith. It is not a dead faith. It's a saving faith because it's bearing fruit. And today we ought to say to ourselves as we look at him, as he stood there in the synagogue at Capernaum, and he said to them, Will you also go? Are you men going to leave me too? Broke his heart, you see, even the Lord saw the day when his popularity was going down. At about the end of his second year in his ministry, they were... Again, those who had followed him were leaving him. They didn't want him anymore. They were, again, disassociating themselves with him. He, he just wasn't what they wanted. They were disappointed. They were offended. He wasn't the answer. And when you and I can realize that he is the answer, that he is relevant, he is very contemporary, he is germane to this generation, then we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to believe that and I'm going to heed that call when he says, don't leave me, don't turn your back on me. Are you also going away? We ought to determine that we're going to obey him, obey Christ every day of our life. 
What's the answer again? Isn't it this? Rather than to turn away to say, He is the answer to right and wrong, and therefore I shall obey Him. What Jesus would do, that I shall do, and what He frowns on, that I shall not do. And then we may say to ourselves, where is there any happiness in that? And again, may I remind you that the happiest life that was ever lived was the life of Jesus Christ. Don't always paint him as a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. He was. But it was the happiest life that was ever lived. Heaven is holiness. And the only way we can experience that holiness is by living it. Rather strange and what a surprising thing it is that when we live the Christian life that we find joy in it, happiness, because there comes that peace in our hearts that Christ had, peace of mind. And there isn't any greater happiness on earth, is there, than peace of mind or peace of heart, to know that all is well between your Lord and between you, or between my Lord and between myself. That's the happy life. Old men like to write him off today. He, he doesn't fit in with this sophisticated 20th century. But Jesus says, are you also going away disappointed in me? Am I not the answer to the problems of your age? I'm not relevant, you say. But Jesus would assure you and me, oh, please don't turn your back on me. Don't go away. Well, they turned their backs on him that day up in Capernaum. He said, please don't go, men. And again, why? Because Jesus says, I, I'm relevant. I am contemporary. I am absolutely for your 20th century. I am the Christ for your age because he also assures us beyond the shadow of a doubt that he and he alone is the most concerned person for you and me. Women say, but look at all of our social problems in this 20th century. God knows we have them, don't we? Who would ever guess 20 years ago or even 10 years ago that we would see the things that trouble our nation that we love like we're seeing today. You and I say, look into the homes, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Look at our race problems. Look at capital and labor. Look at our strikes. Look at our students and look at the burnings. Look at those who would destroy this nation that we have. And we're saying, he's the answer. He's relevant for the social problems of our day. We can look at our nation today and we say, it just seems to be coming apart at the seams. God knows what's happening next. Afraid even to walk down the street alone at night or even in the daytime. Isn't that right? We say, what's happened? We may be disappointed when we say, well, Christ, if he's the answer, is he relevant? Is he contemporary? Jesus and Jesus alone is concerned. The very fact that he turned to the twelve and said, Will you also go away? Another said, Oh, please, don't go away. Is he the answer? If you turn away from him, I ask you, what's the answer? Oh, I talk to individuals who are ready to break up this government and to overthrow it by a revolution. Then I say, What have you got to offer? When I look at our country, I say every decent thing that we've got came because Jesus Christ came into the world. He was most concerned. Why? Because of love. And bear in mind, what do you mean by love? When Christ came in and sowed the seed of love, his was the highest kind of, this kind of love. He loved every man that he wanted every man saved and to live in heaven with him. 
And I ask you, do you know of any greater remedy than that remedy which he brought into the world? To love every man that you would want nothing less than for that person to spend eternity with you in heaven and then treat him that way. Is that the answer? Did you ever hear of hospitals and old folks' homes before Christ came into the world? Did you ever hear of any countries building schools for retarded children and for defective children before Christ came into the world? The world never heard of such a thing. It was only when love came by Jesus Christ, love for immortal souls, that every man was precious in the sight of God, that you had hospitals in this. Where did universities come from? They came out of the church. They came out of, again, the love for fellow men, that men are precious and they need to be taught the word of life and the way to live to the glory of God. And you women, how does it come you have status today which you never had before Christ came into the world? In India, again, the sacred cow is more valuable than is a woman. Where did you get the status of being a human being and having a soul? It was because Jesus Christ came into the world. What is democracy? Power in the hands of individuals. Why? Because this love that Christ came into the world and he promulgated and he taught it, said this, that each man is precious in the sight of God. God died for every man. Everything decent that I see in this country came because of Jesus Christ, and believe you me, he's relevant. When we turn away from him, there is nothing but destruction. There is nothing again but the loss of a land and of a nation that you and I love. Christ says, don't turn your back on me. I'm relevant. I've got the answer for your enlightened, sophisticated 20th century all of your social problems, barring none, can be solved when you stand at my cross and you love every man so much that you want him in heaven with you and you treat him that way. I don't know of a thing that bothers our nation that that kind of love can't solve. It isn't the system that it's wrong. It's men that are wrong. We have wandered away from again Christ who is relevant for our age and therefore we ought to say to ourselves this morning I'm going to heed his call when he says don't go away then we may say to ourselves well if we've been one who have wandered away if we've been disappointed if again we have looked at him and we have said he grieves me he offends me I, I, I don't want him we may say to ourselves well if I come back if I return to him will he receive me well, he's answered that once and for all, hasn't that beautiful story of the parable of the prodigal son? There was the young son, you know, that left his father's house. He turned his back on him. And he went out. He was sick and tired of everything that his father stood for. went out and he sowed his wild oats and he lived to the world and he drank it all in from A to Z. Then again, when he came to the end of the way, there was nowhere else to go when he laid pride aside and humbled himself and wondered whether he could go back. What kind of a reception do you get when you've turned your back on your Lord? Uh, is he glad to see or does he say, I told you so? But the son decided to go back, you know, because he figured at least he might make me a servant. But who was waiting for the son? It was the father, wasn't it, looking down the road. And he saw a speck coming his way. 
looked like his boy. Who ran? It was the father that ran to the son. It wasn't the son to the father, was it? It was the father that ran and threw his arms around him and said, My son, my son that was dead is alive. My son that was lost is found. Oh, yes, the bells of heaven ring. What a reception when we can lay our pride aside and we can say, Oh, yeah, the church is doomed. Who wants Christ in this sophisticated age? It's about time we're doing away with preaching. We're going to do away with the church. May I remind you, he is very relevant. He is contemporary. When you turn away from him, where do you go from here? How relevant is he? It almost knocked my head off when I was in the Holy Land thinking about how relevant he is because the certain experience came from a shock. I was in Israel. We went up to the Sea of Galilee. The guide, when we were standing at the side of the Sea of Galilee, here were a lot of ruins. And the guide looked at me and in his casual way said, uh, we think these are the ruins of Capernaum. And he walked on. Hit me like a little think these are the ruins of Capernaum. Think so, not sure. Well, there ran in my mind something that Jesus had said. Christ in that synagogue at Capernaum, the one that said, Will you also go away? He said this in Capernaum one day. He said, All the blessings, Capernaum, and the things that you've seen and the miracles that I've done, and you're so exalted and you think how wonderful you are, you're going up to heaven. He said, You're going down to hell. You're going to be destroyed. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. We think these are the ruins of Capernaum. Then I remembered my Lord saying about Capernaum, you're going down to destruction, Capernaum. You're going down to hell. You turn its back on him. There I stood nearly 2,000 years later. And here where they erected some columns and said this evidently was the synagogue and I stood on what might have been the floor of the synagogue in Capernaum that went down the hill. They dug it out of the ground, aren't even sure this is the city. And I thought to myself how relevant he really is. Nearly 2,000 years ago he said you're going down to hell Capernaum. Down to hell it went. I insist I don't care what majorities are doing. He isn't dead. He is relevant. And this can be Cantati Sunday. If we've wandered away from him, we've been disappointed in him and offended and we feel he isn't the answer, let's let the bells of heaven ring and we can sing on our way. I would ever follow thee, Christ my all, Christ my all. Thou art more than life to me, Christ my all, Christ my all. As a child I would believe in thy gift of grace receive. And let me ne'er thy spirit grieve, Christ my all, Christ my all. He is still relevant. He is still contemporary. He's still the answer to this sophisticated 20th century. Amen.
The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.